Friends, we have got an incredible opportunity to work with the greater body of Christ. There's an event that happens once a year. God is great, Hortus Groot, and it happens just up the road from us at the, um, let me get the exact, Low Heldenheis School, last school. And every year, a whole lot of people respond. There's a whole lot of gospel music, and it's a cool event. But a whole lot of people's hearts are moved, and they give their heart to Jesus. And the event coordinators have said, would we as a church get involved for, for one specific purpose? And that is to, to follow up, to make disciples. And this is what we do, right? This is what we do. So can I ask that you consider inconveniencing yourself? And it'll be fun anyway to be with all those uh, artists, and some of them I recognize, some of them I don't. And just be part of that event, specifically with the purpose of serving. So can you take that down, take a picture, sign up at the back, talk to Larika afterwards or, or email him. But can we consider making disciples in a place when the harvest is literally jumping in the boat? Amen. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say, although you don't see me often, I do a lot of traveling. I'm so glad to be part of this family. I'm so glad to be part of Every Nation Rosebank. This is an incredible house. And I travel all around the country. And I just want to say this. Maybe you don't recognize what you've got here. Just the wonder, the beauty of the community that God is building here. But I do. I see it because I'm aware. And when I come back, I go like, what a great place this is. So don't despise what you got, but treasure it. And you know how you reflect that? By being involved. And by opening yourself up to relationships. And by coming to church. Now I know I'm singing to the choir because you're here. <laughs> but some of you like come every second or third week. But being committed to the relationships that God has for you. We begin a new sermon series called Kozisikalela, which is about us building the nation. It's about us having God's perspective on South Africa. It's about us seeing things through the Word of God and seeing things by the Holy Spirit. It's about what is godly governance. And it's a lead up to the election that our hearts and our minds would see things right. Next week, I think Pastor Sai, as far as I know, um, Pastor Rekha is nodding, will speak about choosing your leaders. And what are the characteristics when you choose your leaders? So I really want to encourage you to be part of this. And as I help to it, I've got something which has got a little bit of humor and a bit of truth. So can I tell you like half a joke? All right, it's, there's truth in it, okay? But, um, and it's based on the cow model. Remember the two-cow model? I thought it was very appropriate. The two-cow model, because how you think about these cows impacts how you think about economics, and how you think about economics impacts your political view. So... You're all familiar with the two-car model with traditional capitalism. Okay, you've got two cars. You sell one car. You buy a bull. They multiply. You get a whole lot of cars. The economy grows, and eventually you sell them and retire. Okay, that's traditional capitalism. And I know there's some people that are traditional capitalists. Then we've got some great people in the church who are socialists, and we all need a little bit of socialism in us. You have two cars, and you give one to your neighbor. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. But they don't multiply. But anyway... Then there's the communist model. There might be some communists here. Everybody's welcome. You have two cars. The state takes both your cars, but they give you some milk. So not so bad. Okay, then we move on. Bureaucratism. You have two cars. The state takes both, shoots one, milks the other, and then throws the milk away. Okay, this is not a good idea, all right? <laughs> we don't want to wait. We don't want bureaucratism. All right, venture capitalism. I know there's some venture capitalists here in the church. 
You have two cows. You sell three of them to your public listed company <laughs> using letters of credit opened by the, your brother-in-law at the bank. You exercise a debt equity swap with an associated general offer. So you get four cows back with a tax exemption for five cows. The milk rights of the six cows are transferred via an intermediary in the Cayman Islands, secretly owned by a majority shareholder who sells the rights to all seven cows back to your listed company. The annual report says you own eight cows with an option for one more. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> all right. I'm going to pick on other nations, not South Africa today. French Corporation, you have two cars. You go on strike. You organize a riot and block the roads because you want three cars. The Swiss Corporation, you have 5,000 cars. None of them belong to you, but you charge the owners for storing them. <laughs> and then this last one is for my brother-in-law who happens to be a... He's Australian. You have two cars. Business seems pretty good. You close the office and go for a few beers to celebrate. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Let's go to the Word of God. I want to take you to Daniel chapter 2. At this time in Daniel chapter 2, the kingdom of Babylon is 25 years old, much like our kingdom. The father... The king of this kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, his father had won the independence. And now Nebuchadnezzar himself has been reigning only for two years. Nebuchadnezzar himself had twice come to Jerusalem. The first time he came to Jerusalem, he pulled down the walls, he set some things on fire, and then he took 10,000 people, only the elite, the professionals, the very best in government, arts, education, the super wise, and he took them back to Babylon. Why would he do this? It was both incredibly cruel and incredibly smart. Instead of having to destroy the whole nation, he, he wants to make Israel, or Judah more specifically, a vassal nation. How do you do it? You take the most influential people. And you bring them to your country. And you Babylonianize them. And you teach them the language, the culture, the traditions, and you change them spiritually, religiously, and in every way. And you subjugate Israel that way by making them Babylonians. Later on, he came a second time, and then he wiped everybody out. And he, I mean, there's hardly anybody left. But the first time, he took those professionals back to Babylon. And what they did was they settled outside of Babylon. They didn't want to go into the city. In a place called Nippur, on the Kibar Canal. We can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 28. So they're there outside of Babylon. And a prophet arises, and his name is Hananiah. You might not have heard of him because he's a false prophet. And you know what he says? He says to them, don't move into the city. Don't go into Babylon. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with these Babylonians or any of the other people. Reject them completely. And in fact, and now he's the false prophet, remember, he says to them, pray against them, curse them, speak destruction over them. Now this is where we are in the story. This is the time. And Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, who's probably rated like in the top 20 kings ever in terms of power and influence, he has a dream, a really bad dream. Any of you ever have sleepless nights? Any of you ever have bad dreams? Ever have a dream where you're like, I feel like, I, sh I should know what's going on here. Like my subconscious maybe is talking to me. Or maybe God's talking to me. So he has this dream and he wakes up and he is disturbed and he's stressed. 
and he calls the intelligentsia, the Chaldeans, and then he calls the, the mediums and the, those who, who practice witchcraft, and he says to them, explain to me the dream. What is God saying? What does the dream mean? And they go, yes, king, we'll do that gladly. Just tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means, because they had their books, you know? You know, big bird flying over your head, it means this, and whatever. Just tell us what, what happened, and we'll tell you the dream. And, and, they go, and the king goes, no, 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 I'm not going to fall for that. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. Have you, have you ever been in a relationship where, you know, you should know what you've done wrong. <laughs> king says, no, I'm not going to fall for that. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. And uh, they're like, oh, we don't have the answer to this. And the king says, you all frauds, you all charlatans, kind of, we're going to do a purge off with their heads. And he gives the command of his secret peace and palace guard, Arioch, a command, just round up everybody, okay? We're going to get rid of all these so-called wise men and magicians. And this is where we are in the story. Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. Remember, Arioch is the secret peace guy. Then Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. I mean, you'd think he'd be like, yeah, let them burn, you know, destroy them. He says, take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man. Not the way people take credit for what's not their credit. I have found a man amongst the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, and this is significant, the double names. He says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed, are these. As you are laying there, O king, your mind turned to the things to come, and the reveal of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom, see the humility, than any other living men, but that so you, O king, may know the interpretation and may understand what went through your mind. Then he breaks it down. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, enormous, dazzling, awesome in appearance, head of pure gold, chest and arms, silver, belly and thighs, bronze, legs of iron, feet, partly of iron, partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor. In the summer, just blown away. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the mountain became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. We conclude on this. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in future. The dream is true, the interpretation trustworthy. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel 
paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to them. I want to look at three questions. What's the meaning of these two names? Secondly, why was the king so unsettled by the dream, or what does the dream mean? And then lastly, which of these four characters do you most identify with? Who are you in the story? So Daniel himself, and we'll look at Daniel. Daniel himself was part of this first 10,000. And he was put on a special re-education and assimilation program. Remember Daniel chapter 1, where he's taken to the king's court, and he's put on a special program to learn the Babylonian culture, to excel, it's like, kind of like a Sorbonne University, Harvard graduation kind of thing. And he excels. Him and his Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego turn out to be 10 times better than all the rest. I mean, they are amazing, and what a great example to us. At the same time, they refuse to become Babylonianized. They refuse to drink the Kool-Aid. They refuse to eat the food and the drink that is offered to them. And this is the amazing thing. It's a model to all of us, because if ever there was a culture that was fallen, if ever there was a country that you could say, no, we speak destruction, if ever there was a place where you could say, we can't prosper, we can't excel, it's got to be Babylon. And yet here we have him right at the top. We see him excelling, we, we see him prospering. Even as I say this, I look around this room and I see professors and I see great business people and I see um, people in so many spheres. And this is reality. And don't let the devil lie to you. You can in God prosper in your sphere. Doesn't matter if you're in the police, whether you're in the government, doesn't matter. In God, you can be a Daniel. It's not that you have to choose between, no, I keep my Christian faith, or I excel in the workplace. In God, you can, and you are called to be both. So Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah prophesies, in contradistinction to Jeremiah 28. Remember the false prophet in Jeremiah 28? Jeremiah 29 Jeremiah prophesies, and he says, this is what the Lord says. He's saying it to the exiles, to these guys who are outside in Nepal, outside of the city. He says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. This is what I'm doing for my boys. And give your daughters marriage. I don't have any daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will profit, prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do you see Daniel comes in a completely different spirit? And I wonder why. I believe it was because he, he understood this. And when they talk about the city, in those days the city was the nation. So our interpretation for this would be that we are called to be people who have got two identities. We are called to be Daniels in that we are primarily identified with God and who he calls us to be. But we are also called to be like a Belshazzar who excel in the workplace. And doesn't matter what your sphere of responsibility is, God wants you to excel. Is this easy? Not at all. So, but what is before you is the following. 
You can either choose to disengage and to be outside, or you can just say, I'm going to be assimilated, or you can say, like Daniel, I'm going to bring transformation. At the beginning of the year, my son James, who started work at Ernst & Young, he said, I'm going to stand up for God, but I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust God that I get promoted. And um, just before we started work on the Thursday, they had like a bra, all, all, the, all the first years and all the managers and partners. And they said to really, sir, tell me about your life, you know, what's new in your life? And he said, he could have said, well, I've got a, girl, got a new girlfriend and, you know, but he went big. And he said, well, me and my girlfriend are busy planting a church. Immediately, he's drawing a line. Immediately, he's saying, I'm a man of faith. And what was so amazing is the favor that he has had. Last week, he was in Botswana. This past week, he was in Namibia. He's working at four or five levels. His manager, just below partner level, even though he's just a first year. Now, why? Because he has, he has understood that he's both a Daniel and a Belshazzar. There's a lot in Scripture that gives us guidelines. But there's nothing in Scripture that tells James how he must be at Ernst & Young Advisory. Specifically. And there's nothing specifically in the Bible that tells you how to be a director at Standard Bank or a professor at Wits. So you know what is required? Is that you give attention to your faith, the gospel, the message of salvation, and what the Word of God says. And you wrestle with it. And you engage it. And you say, what does this mean for me? How do I apply the gospel in my workplace? First year article clerk, first year trainee accountant, you know, second year advert student. If you're not engaging, you're probably assimilating. If you're not giving attention to how can I stand up for Jesus and bring transformation, if you're not giving attention to those things, either you're disengaged or you're assimilating. And neither one is acceptable. So, in Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says the following. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. So there are secrets. There are ways. There are things that are out there for us to discover. The seven mountain mandate, and maybe you agree with the seven mountains, maybe you prefer the 12 mountain mandate. doesn't matter. Just get the point here. But the point is that we are called to bring the way and will of God in education in media, arts, sports, government, science, tech, engineering, commerce, health, family. Your pastors are not going to tell you exactly how to do that. But as you cry out to God, as you seek the Word of God, as you seek the Holy Spirit, He's going to show you, like He showed Daniel, mysteries. And you're going to come with the Word of the Lord, with insights and ideas and solutions where other people don't have them. Do you give thought to things like the role of the family, the role of the individual or responsibility of the individual, the place of the church, the place of the state, the place of corporations? And I'm not going to go into this in detail. What I'm highlighting to you is we need to give thought to these things and not just accept status quo in terms of what society says we as individuals or what the church must be or what the government must be. But we need to wrestle through these things. There's a dominion mandate, Genesis 1 verse 28, that we are called to fill the earth and we are called to subdue it and we are called to bring the will of God, the reign of God onto this earth. 
And you are called to do it in your sphere of interest, your sphere of responsibility. And this is what Daniel did. He held intention that he was both called by God, called to purity, called to not be part of this world. At the same time, he was called to excel in this wicked culture, Babylon. Can we be people who embrace both of those and not be assimilationist or segregated? But wherever we are, we bring the kingdom without compromise. Second thing, or not second thing, um, further, he's, the word Jeremiah says, pray for the city. Seek the peace or the shalom of the city. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does that shalom mean? It means complete well-being, total well-being, multidimensional on every level, fulfillment and blessing. It means spiritual well-being, physical well-being, material well-being, and economic well-being. This is what we are called to bring to the workplace, to the city, to Johannesburg, to our environments. Even though heaven is our ultimate home, our stance mustn't be one of those Christians who are like, well, everything's going to hell and let it go. You know, for those of you who, who are younger, I remember 1994, there were prophets, kind of reputable prophets, that were prophesying, South Africa is going to be a bloodbath. Anybody remember those times? Hoffi does. Um, Mitesh does. And yet, godly men and women arose, and they, and they prayed, and they interceded. One of the people that stand out for me is Michael Cassidy in African Enterprise. We are not called to, to just be identifiers of problems. You're no genius if you can identify a problem. We are called to bring solutions through our prayer and through our labors and as through us wrestling with the sphere of responsibility that we're in and saying, what does this mean for me in the workplace? I mean, I'd love you to come to me or come to Pastor Greg and he just prophesies and tells you exactly what you have to do. But it's not like that. God wants to reveal it to you. He wants to speak to you and tell you what to do in your workplace and in your environment. The second thing is, why was the king so unsettled by the dream? Now, a number of people, when they, when they look at that dream, they go like, you know, it's actually, all we have to figure out is, what does the head mean? You know, and I think the head of gold, that, that's Babylon, and then it's silver, that's the Persians, and, and then the bronze is the Greeks, and then the iron is the Romans. I mean, that's a, you know, and it's showing the future, and that's, probably a good interpretation. And some say it's, you know, the Holy Roman Empire or you know, the 12 toes because it was the funny look, 12 toes, not 10. It's the European Union. I mean, there's a lot of people who go down those tracks. I believe, although there's some validity to those things, there's a more immediate interpretation. And this is it. Within the heart of Nebuchadnezzar was this desire to build the statue. And you can read about it in, in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar is busy building something. And the truth is, all of us are busy building something. All of us are building a kingdom of sorts. For some of us, it might be our bodies. Okay, not me. Look, if you look at me, you can see I'm not busy building my body. <laughs> some of us are, are building our, our reputation or our image on social media or on other places. Some of us are, are building friendships. Some of us are building maybe finances. 
Some of us maybe are just self-preserving. We're just like trying to, trying to keep it together. But as Nebuchadnezzar hears this, there's an uncertainty in him. There's an unsettledness in him because he recognizes that this statue has got feet that are crumbling. The foundation is not good. He's building something or he sees something which is in his heart and he does it. He does build it. He's building something whose foundations are flawed and faulty. And every kingdom has a foundation. But this is the reality. If you're building your body, there'll come a day when you look in the mirror and it won't be a pretty sight. Might take years, but eventually you'll get there. If you're building economically, there'll come a moment where you'll, you'll look at your portfolio or you look at the stock market and there'll be tears in your eyes. There'll come a moment if you're on social media where you're not getting the likes or the kudos or whatever that, you, that, that you're looking for. Every single one of these, if you're building your own kingdom, will ultimately crumble. There is one kingdom that we are called to build. And as we build it, the promises of God is that all these other things are added. Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are added. And he's recognizing that he's building another kingdom. And I'm going to ask you today, which kingdom are you busy building? Are you busy building your own? Whether you tell people or not, whether it's specifically called a kingdom. Are you building your own stuff? Or are you building that which lasts for eternity? And when the rock comes, which is Christ Jesus, it's not going to be rattled and it's not going to be shaken and it's not going to be destroyed because you've built right. We read in Matthew 7, talking about a rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, we've seen this in South Africa, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Storms will come. Things will be tested. But if you are building on the rock, it's going to stand. In this story, what is the rock? It's not having a, a stick on the back of your car. And it's not having a Bible next to your bed. It's not even going to church. It's doing what the Word of God says. Can you see that? That is the rock that secures you. It's not because your parents are Christian or because you were baptized. The rock that is going to stand is you doing what the Word of God says. And Nebuchadnezzar realizes that he's building completely wrong. He's not building according to building the kingdom of God. He's busy building in this. And my question to you is, what are you building? Are you building God's house, God's kingdom, doing everything to the glory of God in your sphere? Or are you doing it your own way? Remember the theme, the theme song of hell, Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. That's the theme song of hell. When you do it your way, instead of doing it God's way. Last slide. Which of the four characters are you in the story? And I'll talk about a fifth. 
Are you the disengaged Jews? Are you, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't want to have anything to do with the world. I don't like non-Christians. I don't like their jokes. I don't, not that you have to like their jokes, but I just, I avoid them completely. Are you disengaged? Or are you assimilated? If somebody came to church who was your friend or work colleague, they'd be like, ah, I didn't know you're a Christian. Would it be that there's something in you that people are just so surprised? How long have you been here? Five years. Oh, really? (laughs) Have you been assimilated? Or are you wrestling with what it means to be a Christian in the workplace? Are you a Daniel? That you are in, but not of. And I've got to read this scripture to you. It's just so powerful. Jesus in John 17 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them, as you, sorry, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You know, God sends us into the world. For what purpose? So that we can be transformation, so that we can bring transformation. So that we can stand up for God in a pure way, but also be like a Belshazzar and bring change. Or are you a misled kingdom builder? You active, you got a busy life, but your activity is building something for yourself or for somebody else, but not for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can we bow our heads and pray together? In fact, don't stay comfortable. If you're feeling that you want to be more like a Daniel and you want more grace and you're saying, Lord, help me. I don't want to be a compromiser and I don't want to be building wrong, but grace me, strengthen me. Then just just stand to your feet and we're going to pray together. You don't want to fall onto either side. You don't want to be assimilated. And and, and you, you don't want to be... Be be a part, but you want to bring the way and will of God. Just stand to your feet. We're going to pray together. Lord, as we lift up our hands, we pray, Lord God, show us our portion, Lord God. Show us what we're meant to contend for. Show us how we're meant to wrestle, Lord God, at school, at university, at the workplace, in our families, Lord God. We pray for grace. We pray for strength. We pray for anointing. We pray that we would not shy away, Lord God. We would not be people who just see problems, but we'd be people who bring solutions. Lord, as we as, as we consider the nation, Lord God, we pray, use us, Lord God. Use us to intercede, Lord God. Use us to speak words of life and use us to bring solutions where there's poverty, where there's brokenness, where there's need, Lord God, where there's injustice. Grace us to do this, Lord God. May we be Daniels, Lord God, and Esthers in this day. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen and amen.